That was the prayer that Jesus offered. His skin glistening with blood. He had said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Mark's gospel tells us that he was deeply distressed, which means astonished in the Greek, and troubled in the Greek, which means living in horror. And the prayer in the garden, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, was as sincere and desperate prayer as this man began to taste the cup that was coming. Tonight, we're going to be looking at these hours in Jesus' life where he describes the meal that he is earnestly desiring to have with his disciples, as Luke says, before he suffers. And we're gonna see what took place at that meal, which is the most significant meal in the history of mankind. And then we're gonna see what takes place after it, looking closely at the details and listening to the conversation Asking God to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able. The words are printed in the bulletin from Mark's gospel, chapter 14. I'll begin reading at 17. And as I read, really visualize and really listen to what's being said. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, 
If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father in heaven, we need you desperately to show us again the truth of your word, the truth of your promises, the power that you have to fulfill them, to rescue us, the power you have even this night to open eyes and open ears, to see and hear anew the good news of Christ, this love that we were created for, that we long for, that can only be found in Jesus, is offered to us. Oh Lord, would you cause us this night, no matter where we find ourselves, what we're distracted by, what we have fallen into, would you, O oh Lord, be merciful, so merciful to show us again that when we profess to know you as our Lord and Savior and rest in you alone for salvation, we are eternally secure. But this was the cost. This is what had to happen. So God, for these minutes that we're together now, would you remove the things that are distracting us? Would you fix our eyes upon the wonder of Jesus, the person, the risen Lord, and would you do a work that's so mighty that we would be transformed tonight, no matter how long we've been following you, or if tonight that journey starts. Be glorified in all that we see, in all that we hear, all that we speak, all that we feel, all that we think. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus earnestly desired to have this meal with these men. Luke says so. Jesus knew that he was going to suffer. He knew that he was going to die. He said so. As we look at the meal, and then we look at their time in the garden, I want us to focus on these headings. First, the cups. Second, the conversations. And lastly, the cup. What's taking place in Mark's gospel and the other four gospels reveals how in control Jesus was. Don't miss that. 
Jesus knew exactly what had to happen. He understood his mission. I said this last Sunday from Mark 10. He knew that his mission was not to come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's nothing that is happening to him that is a surprise. He has had his focus upon this time, this moment, this Passover. And we're told he earnestly desired to have it with his disciples. But as thousands and, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people are coming up on Jerusalem for the Passover, Jesus knows there are the religious leaders seeking to crucify, seeking to kill him. And so what has to be done in order for them to have a place to take these elements to participate in this Passover feast requires secrecy. Jesus is in control. Jesus sends two of his disciples. Mark doesn't tell us who they are. Luke does. It's, it's Peter and James. And they move towards the man that Jesus, in his own control, says they will see. In the midst of the crowds, he says, look for a man who's carrying water. That's significant because men didn't carry water. They carried wineskins, but women carried water. It would have been a very unusual thing to see a man carrying water, but that's what they're to look for. Because the man that's carrying water is going to lead them to a place where they will prepare for this feast. That's just a little bit early in Mark from where I read. So they obey Jesus. They go, they find the man, they begin to make the preparations. Now we come to our text where the Passover meal is taking place. So let's talk about the cups. The Passover meal was this enormous, beautiful ritual for the people of Israel. It was a meal that was looked forward to, and it was a meal that involved a lot of wine. There were four cups specifically in this ritual that revealed and represented the four promises that God had made to the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 6, verses 6 through 7, listen, listen as I read from this text. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Remember they were slaves. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Exodus 6, 6 and 7. Four cups of wine, four moments in this meal where these glasses represent those four promises that God will rescue them from Egypt and has. That God would free them from slavery and he had. That God would bring this redemption by the power of his strong arm and he had. And that God would renew and restore their right relationship with him. And he did. So the first cup would be brought and it would be drunk before the traditional food of unleavened bread and bitter herbs, stewed fruit and greens, and then roast lamb, all which would be described in detail as to why they were significant. This first cup would be drank, and then the youngest person would ask whoever was the youngest and could speak, why do we eat these foods this night? And the father, ordinarily, whoever's the head of the household or presiding over the meal, in this case it's Jesus, would recount the story of God's grace in the Exodus. 
that that night, death was in every house. It would either be the death of the firstborn son of the Egyptians or the death of a lamb that had been slaughtered, whose blood had been put on the doorpost and the lintel. And then when God came with that plague, seeing those homes with that blood on the doorpost, he passed over, showing grace. They would sing Psalm 113 to Psalm 115, and then the second cup would be served. Just before the meal was eaten, the bread was lifted up. And these are the words that the presider would say, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. It reminds me of the words we put in our bulletin each week. All who are hungry, all who thirst, all who are spiritually weary. This is what the presider would say. Then he would break the bread and he would pass the bread. And normally this portion of the meal was eaten in silence. But we see in this Passover meal that Jesus breaks that tradition and he speaks. And as he passes the bread and holds it up, he says, I take, this is my body. I am the sacrificial lamb. I am the Passover lamb. This is my bread of affliction. The meal would begin, and then when completed, the father would take the third cup. He would bless it, and it would be passed around. They would begin singing again the psalm, Psalm 116 to 118. And then the meal would conclude with the fourth cup, the final cup. But once again, something different happens in this Passover, this Passover meal that Jesus earnestly desired to eat with his friends. The third cup he raises, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Once again, showing that he is the Passover lamb. He never drinks the fourth cup. The fourth cup is left on the table because he says, I will not drink again of this vine until the new kingdom. Luke speaks specific of it being with us. Jesus didn't cut the meal short by not drinking the fourth cup. He extended it. The cup that usually brought an end to the Passover meal, he would now drink at the beginning of endless fellowship in God's eternal kingdom. The fourth cup remained on the table. But he still had one cup to drink. Now let's look at the conversations. In verse 18 of Mark 14, Jesus says this, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now how do they respond to that? Remember who's telling it to them. They have been walking with th for three years with the perfect man. 
It's hard to comprehend that because you've never been around one. You've never been one. He never sinned. He never told an inappropriate joke. He never did anything that was wrong, ever. Whatever he said would happen, happen. Whatever he promised would be fulfilled. There was nothing that Jesus ever did that was sinful or wrong. Imagine spending three years with someone who never sinned. And so now this man, their friend, their Messiah, their leader is telling them somebody around this table as they're lying down, which was the tradition, leaning, is going to betray me. And Mark is careful to tell us that sorrow came over them. And you can see why. They ask the question, is it I? Mark says they began to be sorrowful to say to him, that's Jesus, one after another, is it I? It was one of them. Jesus makes it clear. Verse 20, it is one of the 12. One who was dipping, dipping bread into the dish with me. Is it I? I think for most of them, other than the one, it was unimaginable. How could one of us betray him? Look what he has done. Remember, John said at the end of his gospel, he did so many things that the world couldn't contain the books. These men had been with him and seen it. How could somebody betray him? Is it I? And they're sorrowful. You know what it's like to betray him, and so do I. You know what it's like to sin, and to turn away from what his word has told us to do. You know what it's like to wander, and we sing it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But friends, I don't think most of us really think we're capable of the kind of sin we really are capable of. And I do not think these followers of Christ, the 12, thought it possible that one of them could betray him. But that's how evil sin is. The conversation moves from that upper room as they walk towards the Mount of Olives Go down to verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, again, those hymns around 115 to 118, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now Jesus has another conversation with them. He says, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now he has eliminated, is it I? That's not a possibility. Because this man who is God has just said, you all will fall away. So nobody says, is it I? Because he is saying it's all of us. Except one speaks up. And Peter says, not I. And he believes it. And what he's saying is, Jesus, you are wrong. My devotion to you is so great, and I have proved it, and I believe he believed it, that I would never deny you. I would never fall away. I would never, ever do something so unimaginable because I love you that much. 
you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, not just once, three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. When Peter is accused of being a follower of Christ, he curses himself in the third one and says, let me be killed if I am found to have known that man. That's how evil sin is. And that's why a perfect savior, a perfect lamb was necessary. And this perfect lamb, this true savior, the only one, knew that his closest friends, one would betray him, the other 11 would deny him. And he earnestly desired to have this meal with them before his suffering. Jesus is in control. The conversations reveal the depravity of man and the desperate need we have for God's strong arm to save us. And now we move to the garden. We've seen the cups, we've seen the conversation, heard the conversation, and now we're going to see Jesus. And if we're honest, when we see Jesus in this setting, he no longer really looks in control. Something has happened to him. There is an awareness, an understanding, a taste of this cup that's coming that is truly taking him to a place of absolute despair. Many people have died in history who have, have faced even cruel and, and gruesome deaths, who didn't look to be as distressed and troubled as Jesus is here. What's happening to Jesus? I want to be very clear. He is not in sin. What he is, is a man who is the son of the living God, who is about to become something that he's never known. He is about to receive the cup. And in the Hebrew, the, the word cup means it's the wrath of God. It's God's righteous, appropriate, holy, stored up wrath. And Jesus, who is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, from all eternity, is about to experience becoming sin. He's about to take on the penalty of sin for every bitter thought you've ever had. 
Every time you've looked at a woman lustfully, every time you have spoken a word that set a forest on fire by gossip, every time you've had envy, coveting, jealousy, every time you thought too highly of yourself and lowly of another, every time you saw injustice and didn't do anything, every time you told a coarse joke, every time you have taken the Lord's name in vain, every time you've been greedy and materialistic, every time you've been so shallow, so worldly, so consumed with self, every evil thought, every bitter deed, every sin of God's people for all time deserving this wrath is now going to be poured out on the sun. And what the sun begins to taste in the garden is bringing him to a place where he in his own words is saying, my soul is troubled to the point of death. To help you see how great this distress was, the physician Luke says, his sweat was like drops of blood, not hyperbole, a medical condition that can actually happen when a body is under so much pressure that the capillaries burst and there is glistening in blood. Jesus, and he cries to the Father, Abba, which means Daddy, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But then he prays the greatest prayer of faith. Not my will be done, but yours. In praying that prayer, Jesus reveals to us that his desire to see this cup pass is surpassed by a greater desire to see you rescued, to see me rescued, to see the people of God redeemed. We put him there. It's your sin on his shoulders and it's mine. And it's always much worse than we think. But this love, this sacrificial love is what you're looking for. It's what you need. It can only be found in him. And his love for the Father is so great. And his love for you is so great that that desire to bring his Father glory gives him the words to say, not my will be done, but yours. And we're told and we see that it was not the Father's will to let that cup pass. It was the Father's will for his very own begotten Son 
to drink it and drink it full. And he did. And that's why he would say the things he said from the cross, including, it is finished. Is it I? When we're honest and listen to the Holy Spirit, we can begin to see something of our own depravity. And when we see what the word of God says about us, what the spirit of God reveals to us, we can say, yes, it is I. But then comes another moment when the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and minds to see the truth of this story of this man who says that I'm the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. And when those words of eternal life are presented to us and we say, I believe, I rest and I receive in Jesus alone, there's a part of us in beginning to understand how great that love is for us that must say, is it I? How can you love me that much. You, you don't know what I've been looking at. You don't know what I've been thinking. You don't know what I'm addicted to. You don't, and his response is yes. Yes, I do. I know more than you know. I can see what you can't see. I can see into the future the things that you will betray me and follow. And yet, I love you. I've come for you. I will make you my own. That's the promise of the gospel. But I don't want you to miss one word. And this relates to the table. When the elements were there, and Jesus held up the bread, he said, take. It's only those who take him as the Passover lamb, the perfect sacrifice, who take him alone as their savior, who will drink that cup. For eternity. That cup that Jesus said, I will not drink again, will be ours with him in the feast that will be for all eternity. In order for that to be celebrated, Jesus Christ had to live the perfect life, had to die this horrible death, had to receive the cup of God the Father's wrath. And he did. In a minute, we're going to come to the table. And as we do, this table is an extension of that meal. 
And it's also a table that's looking towards that future meal. Friends, think deeply upon what you've heard and prepare your hearts to come to this feast. Father, your holy word is true. Your word is given to us and it's all God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting in righteousness. And tonight you have given us this time and this space that we could reflect and look and listen as we continue, O Lord, in worship. Move in us, stir us, feed us, transform us. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.